You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. Welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. Today, we're talking about identifying hidden trauma, recognizing the signs, and seeking help. I'm pleased to introduce my guest, Kira Markoff, a licensed clinical social worker Kira is the owner and operator of Connection Mind Body Wellness. She helps her clients through psychology, mental health, therapy, and yoga. Welcome to the show, Kira. Thank you, Damon. Thanks for having me. So great to have you on. And I was excited to talk with you about this topic uh, because trauma is a really big buzzword now in mental health. And it really is in addiction recovery. They're finding out that trauma is linked to a lot of issues that people are having and maybe even linked to actually why people have substance abuse disorders. So I want to kind of dive in from your expert, uh, expert, uh, uh, you know, view on this because it's such a big buzzword now, but I wanted to kind of like, just ask you, you know, what is trauma? Because I think people have so many different definitions for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I like to think of a trauma as anything that turned your world upside down. You know, anything that made you feel alone, made you feel unsafe. Um, and the research now is coming out that trauma really is a, a disease of disconnection, right? So it makes us feel cut off from everything, cut off from ourselves, from other people, from our world, from our experience. And so trauma is really personal because it doesn't necessarily there's not a list of experiences that are like oh yep you've experienced this or that that means that you have had a trauma but it's really about the way that we feel during an experience so two people might have the same experience one person it would affect them as a trauma and the other person it might not for a variety of different reasons well you know kira when we were talking about this earlier we were saying that you know it used to be when you talked about trauma I know when mm -hmm. I first heard trauma, we were talking about soldiers, people yep. coming back that were having flashbacks and all that yep. kind of stuff, right? But that's not necessarily it. It could be it could be a, a myriad of different things that uh, could cause trauma, not just you know soldiers or people that are in combat. Correct. Yeah, it used to be that only combat veterans could qualify for a PTSD diagnosis. And then from there, it expanded to people who had, had a near-death experience, people who um, had been the victim of, you know, like some kind of assault, right? We then kind of expanded it to people who had been the victims of domestic violence or sexual assault. And now the research is coming out even that um, people who experience uh, consistent emotional neglect that that affects the brain and the body in the same way as, let's say, a, a combat veteran coming back from overseas. Yeah, and I know that, you know, what we're seeing in addiction recovery now is a really big focus on this because, you know, it seems to start peeling back the onion on yes. other things that are going on, right? Now, can you talk about kind of... um how trauma can be overlooked or misidentified because i'd like to actually get into what is some of the you know signs that people might have if they're suffering from trauma because there might be people that are listening to this kira that that are saying you know what i've heard about that but i don't really know if i've got actually those symptoms 
Mm -hmm. And I think the most helpful part of being able to label or kind of bring on that label of like, yes, I have experienced a trauma or I identify as a traumatized person is that it gives you kind of that internal validation enough to seek help if you haven't. And it says, yes, what happened to me was a big deal. Whereas sometimes things that we wouldn't traditionally consider, quote unquote, trauma, we say, oh, that shouldn't be a big deal. I don't know why that still bothers me. But then when you can say, you know, yes, this really was a trauma, you can say it was a big deal. I'm allowed to have feelings about it. I'm allowed to put in extra, you know, work and resources to healing from this issue instead of just saying like, you know, that was no big deal. I shouldn't be upset about it. So I think that's, that's one important part of, of kind of looking at how something really did affect you and kind of owning your experience of it, even if it's not what other people are telling you, you should feel or should be having a certain reaction to. But um, some things for people to look at would again be this feeling of disconnection. Um, if you experience anything, dissociation is a big word um, that people throw around a lot in mental health, but essentially dissociation is just whatever is going on in my environment or in my body is so uncomfortable or painful that my brain leaves the space, right? And so we have small moments of dissociation all the time. Like for example, um, if you've ever been driving and then you look up and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? You know, and you weren't paying attention for the last 15 miles. That's a small moment of, moment of dissociation that people would have. But it also happens during times like if you get into an argument with somebody and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I heard my brother or I heard my grandpa when they used to scream at me. That would be kind of an indication that like, wow, that really did affect me. I should kind of look deeper into that. So that would be, I think, one thing that people can look for. Also, um, like you mentioned before, flashbacks, nightmares, um, any sleeping issues, really difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, insomnia is a big part of trauma. It, insomnia is also a big part of other things. That's what makes it difficult. But I think just feeling like you aren't able to be connected in your in your body and in your experience, that is a really big indicator that something is going on that needs attention, whether it's quote unquote trauma. If you don't like to use that word, you don't have to, but something that hurt you and you know requires attention for healing. You know, so many times uh, we see in the recovery process, there are people that come in, they're getting sober, and, you know, you find out that they come from an alcoholic or mm -hmm. drug-addicted family, right? Yep. They've been through some sort of trauma when they were a kid with that, and then they've repeated that trauma mm -hmm. in their own adult lives, right? Yeah. Uh, how, how important is it to kind of like you were talking about being able to really kind of identify and communicate mm -hmm. about what happened to you and own the experience? Because yeah. I've seen a lot of people come into recovery and say, well, it was no big deal. Like a lot of people mm -hmm. drank and yeah, there was a lot of dysfunction in my family, but it's not that big of a deal. Other people had it much worse, mm -hmm. right? I, I see that a lot and not really owning that and being able to say, well, no, you know what? That really affected you. And it's part of why you're maybe in the position that you're in right now. Yeah. I sometimes think about it like a broken ankle. A ton of people get broken ankles, but that doesn't make a broken ankle any less painful or any less in need of no. medical attention. You know, and if you say, oh, yeah, I broke my ankle, but I'm fine. And you just keep trying to walk on it and keep pretending like it's not broken or like it should go away on its own. You're just going to continue to do more damage. Um, you're not going to heal. That healing process is going to take much longer and you may even cause permanent damage. Yeah. So it's the exactly. same kind of thing with trauma. You know, when people say like, oh, it was normal or oh, everyone went through it. Yeah, that might be true. And that 
that doesn't mean it's not a big deal. Like you should still, you know, acknowledge that it's just as painful as it is and do the work and get the help that you need in order to be able to heal in a functional way. How is trauma linked to addiction? Can can you explain that a little bit? Because I think obviously we're seeing that now. A lot Mm -hmm. of people in 12-step groups, you know, that originates 20s and 30s and 40s. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the word trauma then. Right. You know, they had the word fear. They use the word fear yeah. a lot, right? Uh, they didn't use the word. They didn't use the word trauma. H- how is trauma linked to addiction? Does it cause addiction? Does it does it exacerbate it? Wh- how, where's the link? I think yes to all, and it depends on a, a person's uh, individual experience. I think in a lot of cases, people do experience trauma prior to a substance use. Um, you know, first picking up anything or first engaging in any kind of like addiction behavior, it can happen beforehand. But I think also when we're engaging in high risk behaviors, we're also more likely to experience a either a first trauma or to become re-traumatized because we're, you know, not listening to our body signals for what's safe or unsafe. We're, like I said, engaging in those risky behaviors, which put us, you know, kind of in a vulnerable state for us to be victimized or for something to go wrong, you know? So yes, it can happen beforehand and make us more likely to engage in some kind of um, risky behavior or addiction pattern. But then also while somebody is actively in addiction, puts you at higher risk for experiencing more trauma. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's, it's interesting because when I look back at my own experience in, in Guinea's Hover, one of the first things I was addicted to when I go when I go as far back as I can remember was mm-hmm. escapism. And we're mm-hmm. talking about not being in the here and now and trauma right. kind of being one of those signs of like not being able to be in the present moment. You know, yep. and I know that so much of like healthy recovery is about being okay with the here and now. Like everything yep. is fine right here, right now. You know, how do you Kira, because I know there's a lot of people that'll be listening to this. And they're like saying, wow, you know, damn it, Kira, this sounds like me. And maybe they've been in the recovery process, but they still feel that they're on a loop and really mm-hmm. kind of fighting with that here now problem. Right. And I know you do a lot of mindfulness and yoga. Yeah. And you incorporate that into your into your practice. How, you know, what are the first steps here towards healing uh, unresolved trauma? Well, obviously, being a mindfulness specialist, I'm going to say I think that everyone should at least try it. Um, but because essentially, mindfulness is the opposite of trauma, right? If we say that trauma is a disease of disconnection, mindfulness is about connection, reconnecting with the present moment, with my body, with my breath, right? And so you start with being able to be present for the connections that feel safe for you, whether that is a connection with your breath or whether that's a connection with your morning coffee or a connection with the sun on your face, right? You start to feel into some connections that um, do feel safe and available for you and the ones that feel good, right? There's no reason that the here and now has to be miserable all the time. Let yourself be available for the things that feel good naturally And then you help yourself to be able to also be present and stay present for the things that are really uncomfortable. Yeah. You know what? I found that it almost is, it's a practice. Yes. Like you're talking about staying in this present moment, that the more you do it, the longer that you can be in that present moment, you know, and I know that Mm -hmm. there's this toggle point and I'd love your perspective on this as somebody who works with people with all the modalities that you do. There seems to be a toggle point. Uh, where 
a lot of people will come into addiction recovery and there's a lot of drama. There's th- yeah. they feel very comfortable being in the drama and the dysfunction. And then there's a point where that no longer becomes the go-to place and being in that level of discomfort is no longer mm-hmm. acceptable. And you yep. see that, you know, I know that happened for me and that you see this like the the shift in people where it's like, you know what, this no longer works for me anymore. How, you know, how how does this how does this work with trauma? Can you heal from trauma or will you always have trauma? Well, I think the answer to that also is yes to both. Um Yes, it is always a part of your story and will always affect you. And you will probably always have reactions to certain things, depending on what your your trauma was. And also, there is healing available and you can feel through it and react differently. And I think about it as kind of like decreasing your sensitivity to something. You know, if you think about a sunburn, it really, really hurts. Um, and something normal, let's say you have a sunburn on your shoulder, somebody pats you on the back, like it's really painful even though that's just kind of a normal touch. And so you can tend to that sunburn, right? You can put creams and lotions on it, give it time, really take care of it. And then you become less, less sensitive to it. Um, And it's kind of the same thing with emotional sensitivities is that when you provide the care and compassion that you need, you decrease the sensitivity, which means you give yourself more space to respond instead of react. But I like that toggle point that you're talking about where um, it's almost like people's baseline changes, right? If originally, my normal is to be in chaos and dysfunction. The more I practice being in more of an organized state, the more comfortable I get there. Because at first, it's going to be really uncomfortable for me. I have no idea what to do. Probably makes me really anxious. But the more I'm able to be there, I'm able to experience the benefits that come from an organized state of being. And that becomes my new normal. And then it becomes really, like you said, intolerable or unacceptable to be in a space of of discomfort or chaos. Yeah. And we see this in relapse, you know, Kira, that mm-hmm. so many times when you kind of dissect people that have had long-term sobriety or periods of sobriety that go out, typically when you talk about, okay, what was that mindset before you went out? They were mm-hmm. never in the here and now. They were always in the right. past or the future yeah. or in a resentment or in yep. a place not in the here and now, right? It like it was the a blind now, habitual response. Yeah, it was to- is 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 totally is totally unacceptable. Uh, you know, and it it it's interesting because it seems to be that this is almost a muscle, if you will, this mm-hmm. practicing this yep. daily practicing of being in the here and now. What are some tips that you could give for people who want to kind of get that mindfulness? Maybe they're dealing with trauma. They've been diagnosed with it. What's some mm-hmm. of the things that people could do that are in recovery that would help them kind of get into that here and now? Really what you want to do is just to start paying attention to the things that you already do. The cool thing about mindfulness is that it's not about doing anything new. It's about doing the things that you already do in a new way. So when you brush your teeth, you're paying attention to the smell of the toothpaste, the feeling of brushing your teeth, the way that your hand moves effortlessly in a habitual pattern to brush all of your teeth, you know, in a certain rhythm. The same thing when you're in the shower. When you start to notice, you'll notice that you probably shower almost exactly the same way every time because your body just does it 
automatically. And so you can start to kind of be an observer of those experiences, feel the water, smell the soaps, right? And when you're walking, being able to feel your foot on the ground, um, They've actually done quite a bit of research on the most accessible mindfulness practices for people who have experienced trauma. Because for a while, there was a myth going around that mindfulness wasn't good for people who have experienced trauma because it just triggers them. And they have, you know, people will have panic attacks because the body feels unsafe, the moment feels unsafe. And so there was this, like I said, there was this myth going around that people who have had trauma should not do mindfulness. Um, and my response to that is, it's important to practice mindfulness from a place of compassion and to learn about mindfulness from an experienced practitioner. Um, the research suggests that somebody's experience with mindfulness is uh, directly related to the experience of their teacher. So the, the more practice the teacher, the better your experience will be, um, which I think makes perfect sense. Um, but coming at it from a place of, um, having compassion and having support for yourself. Like I said, being in tune to the things that feel good and feel safe for you and building that as your foundation instead of like, yeah, I'm going to practice mindfulness and I'm immediately going for the most painful and difficult topic. Like do not do that to yourself because you're setting yourself up for failure. Start with the things that feel safe and good, build that foundation for yourself because that is what will help you. And you start to wear that as a coat or as a protective layer when you feel into some of those more difficult topics. So like I said, brushing your teeth, showering, um, feeling your feet on the ground, really feeling into that morning cup of coffee, tasting everything, smelling everything, just letting yourself slow down and sending these messages to yourself over and over that the present moment is a safe place, that I'm safe now, and that it's safe for me to slow down and it's safe for me to pay attention to something that's not a problem and not harm because our brain is wired to pay attention to problems. And so we're retraining our brain that it's okay to pay attention to things that feel good and I don't always have to be on the lookout for what's going to attack me. Mm, love that. Love that. So Kira, final thoughts here. If anybody's listening to this and they've identified that they have some trauma and they're mm -hmm. thinking, you know what, I'm never going to really be able to get anywhere with this. I'm just on the never ending loop. What would be uh, your thought for them? Well, that was a harder question than it should have been. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, reach out and get connected. And that can be to a religious organization, to a 12-step organization, to a licensed psychologist or therapist, um, whoever you feel safe being able to connect with and walk this journey with. Because like we said, trauma is a disease of disconnection. And so in order to heal, we need to reconnect with another person, with ourselves, with our experiences in whatever way. So I'm not, I'm not ever going to say, oh, you need to do it this way. Like I said, I'm a mindfulness specialist. So I'm naturally going to recommend mindfulness to people. And I'm under no delusion that that is one, the most helpful thing for everyone um, or the only helpful thing for anyone. I don't believe those two things, even though I believe that there are so many benefits to mindfulness, but whatever feels accessible for you, that's going to be the thing that helps you the most, because that's going to be the thing that you're one willing to do and two willing to dedicate the most resources to following through with. Mm, this has been so helpful, Kira. Now you've got a, you have a seminar that's coming up, right? Yeah. Uh, tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that. Sure. So it's um, 
December 3rd from 2 to 4 Eastern time. Um, it's a virtual two-hour chakra balancing workshop. And it's pay what you can, so you're totally welcome to come for free. But we're going to go through what are the chakras, how can I use them for healing, and then we're going to go through a lot of different practices, including some guided meditation. I have some like sound therapy stuff we're going to do, a few beginner's yoga poses, some different affirmations. So lots of different ways of working with the same kinds of feelings and energies. And if you don't like the word energy, you can honestly translate that just to nervous system functioning, because that's really what we're talking about. Love that. Love that. We're going to put links on how you can access that in the show notes. Kira, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Sometimes addiction recovery can be a lonely battle, but you don't have to fight it alone. At Recovered Life, we're dedicated to helping you live your best recovered life. And that's why we're inviting you to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. Every week, we carefully curate exclusive content from leading minds in addiction recovery, mental health, and all things important to the recovery lifestyle. Stay in the know with the latest news about addiction and get exclusive invitations to specially recovery-focused events and explore insights tailored to support recovery from alcoholism, drug addiction, codependency, disordered eating, dysfunctional family dynamics, gambling, and so much more. With our newsletter, each week becomes an opportunity for growth, healing, and taking a step closer to the life you deserve. Take your first step towards a brighter future today. Go to recoveredlife.us and subscribe for free. Sign up now at recoveredlife.us. Dot us.